Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Packages by Expedia. You were made to be rechargeable. We were made to package flights, hotels, and hammocks for less. Expedia. Made to travel. Hey everybody, welcome. It's your Megatron Wizard from the Dark of the Moon, Holden McNeely. Hey yo man, it's me, a normal black person in a movie. Yiggity yiggity, oh, I no. can't read. This oh, is no. funny. <laughs> God help us. Shut up, Grandma. Hell yeah. Jake, this episode is going to be real stupid. <laughs> but before we get into how stupid this episode was about, can you talk to us about how your incident at work earlier today? I'm sorry. Are you, are you making fun of my uh, jaunty shorts that I'm wearing right now? Yes. What? How did what, How did you end up getting into those shorts? Oh, I can't believe we're talking. Okay. So, I'm sorry I was late to recording. Uh, uh, guys, I'm laid out on the line. Uh I, I, I work in a building, a nice building. There's amenities. I'm not trying to brag to all you unemployos and all you employettes out there. Uh, keep huffing it. Uh, I sit down to take a nice dumpus. I sit down like I usually do. It's kind of a 4 p.m. thing. Boss makes a dollar. I, I make a dime. That's why I poop on a company time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's uh, one of those auto guys, one of the automatic things. So, like, as soon as you move a muscle, it just starts immediately flushing. And uh, <laughs> uh, just, just uh, I shift my weight slightly and just skadoosh, the toilet just starts over. I haven't even done my business yet. And Which, just, just thank God, <laughs> you know, because I mean, this could just, this could be a whole different. Well, first of all, we probably wouldn't be here right now recording this episode. Oh, if, if it had been the other been way after the if business. it had been the other way around. Uh, we wouldn't be recording this podcast. I would have fucking killed myself <laughs> in the most abhor. I would. You would. What's the plan of escape? Right. Th- okay. You're in your office and you have shit all over your shoes the plan and of socks. Esca- the, the, the plan of escape then is just to run full sprint naked into the street and cause <laughs> as much damage as possible until the cops take. It's me literally down. Call, call in a bomb threat because that is the only. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Pu- I am firing guns in the air and pulling fire escapes. <laughs> So, anyways, it doesn't do that at least, but you do get um, all of the toilet water. All, all over the your... toilet water, all of the toilet water, just comes rushing into my open pants and right, underwear. Right, because the pants are down there too, so pants it's gonna are... get all in there. Because I'm also a pants all mm. the way down boy. Some people are like weird, different with that. But yada I yada pants. yada. Gary from marketing sees my dick. Um, <laughs> but then I remember. Oh no no no! Wait wait! I work in a fancy building. We have like a we have a shower area with ah. like uh, fresh towels yes. and like hair dryers. I'm going to be okay. I'm yeah. going to be okay. Yeah, you go in those buildings with like a gym and like a rock band set mm-hmm. and like all that stuff. Um, karaoke machine, mm-hmm. uh, blowjob atorium. <laughs> uh, it's there's no there's no machines or, or or prostitutes. It's just like if if you if you and another coworker just like eyes lock, you're like, 
I know what we're doing for lunch. <laughs> Fucking Caesar salads and blowjobs. <laughs> um, I get down there. Uh, there are no, there are, <laughs> there are no fr- clean towels. Uh. I think to myself, like, okay, you know what? You know what? F- I, times of emergency. I reach into the used tile, a uh, towel, like, uh, what's the word? Uh, hamper. Dispenser? Yeah, hamper. Oh, used. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I'm like, I, I just need to like absorb liquid. I don't care anymore. And the first one I pick up has a gross, huge blood stain on it. So uh. it goes back. Uh, uh. I... Real quick, too, though, I hate to slow your story down, but the one part I'm wondering about is, like, you getting from the bathroom to that area with fully wet pants. Fully. I mean, I, like, did sopped you, up whatever I could with paper towels just so I'm not, like, okay. dripping anymore. But, but I mean, did people see you? Oh, or I'm you- sure everyone. Like, there's no way. I Like, <laughs> how do you? Here's the thing, though. The one thing weirder than being, like, Oh my god! Like like holy shit! My pants are wet. Right. It's like a grown human like person in their like thirties just getting up out of their office desk and be like, "Hey everyone!" Yeah, true. Look at Mister Wet Pants. Yeah, you just gotta like it is. It is the human condition. Everyone, uh, you know, it's it's kind of weird. You think about all these like terrible moments that happen in life. I'm gonna get him real here, and you always wonder like, "Oh man, will I have like the energy and the resolve to like." To do the right thing. The fact is, whenever something fucked up happens, everyone just shuts down and just like just fucking chills out. Yeah, everyone yeah. just does what they got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm just like, uh, so oh, so I put the hair dryer. I got the hair dryer. I'm, I'm not out of this yet. Yeah. So I'm naked in this corporate bathroom, and I reach for the hair dryer, and it does not work. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, I can still do this. Semi naked, I get out, <laughs> like kind of waddle across the locker room into the other uh, shower area. And uh, there is not even a hair dryer. There's just a hole in the wall. <laughs> so nothing was solved from going to this nothing new location. Is I go, this new location at least closer to the vicinity of the front or back entrance? Something. To this well, you know what? Here's the thing. Okay. I realize time is of the essence. I, you know, I, there's going to be a delay. Things have gone wrong. Stuff happens. I can't believe I censored myself after <laughs> so far. Um, <laughs> I'm going to text Holden. And tell him that we can't do the recording uh, as our scheduled time. Which would have been fine. We could have done it tomorrow. It would have been if I hadn't left my phone in the upstairs bathroom <laughs> when the incident happened. So I have to go back up. Uh. Like, the security guard is there, like, with, like, various um, uh, janitory people, like, custodians. Because they got to take care of this fucking flooding toilet. And, like, he just looks at me and just goes, oh, there you are. And hands me my phone. I waddle out. I'm like, all right, shit. What am I going to do? Um, okay, I gotta buy new pants. Unfortunately, I'm a fat piece of shit, and the only place that I know is gonna have clothes in my size is the Big and Tall store on like Sixth Avenue. It's key that you know the location of the Big and There's Tall. There's only store. three places in really? New York where I can like buy. Sh- like, what am I gonna do? Take what care is of it? It's Big and Tall there. Rochester, it's, Big and Tall. Have you been to uh, Fat Alberts in uh, Bedford Stuyvesant? It's not actually known for plus size clothing. <laughs> oh, it's just really? a misleading name. <laughs> I always thought that was the place where you could go so get some So would big I. Shit. So would I. And then I was disappointed <laughs> when I went. Um, I So I'm like walking. <laughs> and I probably look like a crazy person. I don't even know. Um, I have the decency not to like call a car or something and just ruin someone's day by getting in their car. Um, I, I get to the big and tall store. I'm like, all right, I'm making good time. No one needs to know what happens. Um are your pants still clearly wet at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, jeans. Yeah. Um, 
I, I get shorts. I get clean underwear. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is good. This is good. It's uh, also one of the first hot days in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> Just to throw it out there that you're like freaking out and running around in like a very hot day. Um, the woman, there's only one register, Oban, uh, and there's a woman who is having a total meltdown <laughs> in front of the register. She is on her phone with like three, di- I can't even keep track of her phone call, but she's like screaming at her kids over the phone in the middle of some crisis. She has like a mountain of polo shirts. So like the person, like the person there manning the register, like needs to make the sale because this lady's <laughs> buying like $600 with a plus size polo shirts while screaming at Cody over the phone. <laughs> and I'm just like, F- I just, I'm, I was so close. <laughs> It takes a half an hour for her to finally what? finish the sale. I'm just standing there. I peruse some sneakers. I have sne- I bought sneakers also. Okay. <laughs> um, and so I have arrived, and we're here. Wow. And, and here's the thing: after wow. all of this, after all everything I just described, I would rather go through that all over again <laughs> than have to watch Transformers: The Last Night again, like I did for this show. You watched the last night. I saw the first one. I was going to watch Revenge of the Fallen, but Jake, I think we got to make that one a, a giggle flick. Oh, you mean the one that didn't have a writer? Yes, I, we. I think we. I was gonna watch it for this, the racist one without the writer, the one that even Sheila Booth himself derides, which we'll get into today's episode. We're gonna start with the revival in the '90s of the Transformers, and we're gonna. Try transition into the bay years yes this is kind of a um dirty excuse for me to do kind of an episode on michael (laughs) bay a little bit but i think it's going to be hilarious so please stop throwing popcorn and fruit at your iphone i apologize for 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 an advance for the amount of bay talk that's going to happen today but i think it is just fascinating and also hilarious there are so many great quotes Mm. there's so many and it is important for us to dissect the way that you know these toy franchises have been handled in the present, I was actually pretty pleased with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and their more modern movies in the Bay the Bay Machine. Mm-hmm. But the Transformers situation, oh my God! I mean, it is just vile if you are a fan <laughs> of Transformers, and it is just a fascinating. Just the whole situation with that guy, you know, is just unbelievable. His quotes are <laughs> hilarious. He's like, a cartoon. It's incredible. <laughs> like watching, learning about Michael Bay and watching these Transformers <laughs> movies has given me like a mini existential crisis. And I, I think we'll get into yeah, it. Yeah, sure. I've, n- I've never seen any of them before until we started working on this, by the way. It's well, that's the thing. You're alone. You're yeah, the freak. Yeah. You're the weirdo. Um, but uh in, you know, not to date this episode because you know we gotta gotta keep it keep it ever. I literally just saw Avengers: Infinity War. Like, isn't it amazing this how much afternoon? And then went back to my apartment to finish researching. Uh, fucking Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, you know, or uh, yeah, Dark of the Moon. They couldn't call it Dark Side of the Moon. I wonder why. And uh, yeah, it is just like whoa! <laughs> I can't believe the difference. It's between. two different approaches. It's uh, like the Marvel way, which is. Uh, all these people that care deeply about these characters and these lore, but still have been informed through like pop culture and like mastering their craft to like, okay, how do we translate the feelings we had as kids for this very like childish uh, genre and kind of elevate it into something that more people can enjoy? And watching Infinity War, I don't want to make presumptions. I'm sure a lot of people didn't like it, but 
uh, like the, most of the people that I know that left were like, that was near spiritual. I felt like I was 12 again reading these big crossover stories. There was, well, we're going to have, we're yeah. doing a bonus okay, episode so, where we're so going to so talk like, about it. There was literally, a, I heard a kid, I don't know what the kid said, but mm-hmm. just shout out with glee the moment that Captain America first makes an appearance <laughs> in Avengers. And it literally, like I started tearing up Be- just, just yeah. like, because I could feel that sense of childhood wonder in that kid's voice. And it made me just feel so, so amazing. on the other side of that is Michael Bay <laughs> who took transformers and was like, fuck this dumb noise. I'm going to give you tits. I'm going to give you like the military. I'm going to like, he just does not care because he knows that like, People, some people don't got time to relive childhood wonders. Some people just want to watch the fucking fireworks go off. This is a good Bay quote for you. I have a few of them that we'll get to later. I've heard so many people. This, is by, by the way, this is going to be my Bay voice. I've heard so many people say, Michael Bay, you destroyed my childhood. I knew there were fans. I didn't know there were people who'd hunt you down. I urged them to watch the 1986 animated movie. Go watch the cartoon. You'll want to shoot yourself. <laughs> so fucking... <laughs> so insane. So before we get fully into Michael Bay, I'm just gonna do a very quick run. We of, can take a, we can take our time with the more maybe the lighter side of the episode a little bit. I mean, so when we last left Transformers, it was the beginning of the '90s, uh, and the the time the clock had kind of run out on the franchise. It was no longer like a hot deal. They weren't producing more animated series. Um, they were releasing weirder and weirder spinoffs to try and like recapture that initial magic that didn't quite go anywhere. There was stuff like uh, it did better internationally too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was like it kind of the '80s Transformers kind of lived on a little bit longer in like Japan and mm-hmm. uh, Europe even than it did in America. They were kind of still with it for a while. But like these are lines like Headmasters and like uh, Target Masters. I remember having, uh, I can't even remember what it was, but the idea was that they were Transformers that you put them in a, in a man-shaped shell so that they were like humans in disguise, even though the, it, they looked like terrifying humunculuses. <laughs> um, and... Uh, uh, Oh, they even this was this was the bottom of the barrel action masters because they wanted to sell like cheaper kind of uh, normal G.I. Joe Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle sized figures. So they were Transformers figures that didn't transform. Right. And they said that like they underwent a mystical process where they gave up their power to transform for more power and like strength. But this isn't technically G2 we're talking about, right? This is around G2. Okay, because I, what I have here is for the start of G2, it was in 1993, there was a five-issue stint in the G.I. Joe comic series that had Megatron being rebuilt by Cobra, setting up what led to a 12-issue comic series called Transformers Generation 2, which was the spark of the whole thing. And Megatron, with their rebuild of Megatron, he's now a tank instead of a gun, which solves the issue with the toy. Mm-hmm. He's That's the Megatron that I have. Uh, when I was a kid, I you guys don't see this at home, but Jake just slammed a do harder than I, I want to high five him, but I'm across the table. You slammed that do harder than I've ever seen a man slam a do before. This ain't do, brother. It's Transformers blood. Do you see the Michael <laughs> Bay movie? They're so oozy. They're always oozing this green shit. That's the secret. It's like they're full uh, of antifreeze. <laughs> G2 brought a new form of tra- uh, Transformers. They were the Cybertronians, as well as a new major enemy, the Swarm. And it also revealed in the series that the Transformers breed asexually. 
I I know that. I don't know why I know that, but I know that. But, but they that, still ha- but they're still oddly gendered, which is always a weird thing. Uh-huh. Um, and and so uh, do you have much more on this before we get to Beast Wars? Um just that uh you know, the, the attempts to kind of make uh, to to revitalize the franchise had kind of fallen flat, and so Hasbro turned to their newly acquired Kenner division to take over from the Takara Tomi Hasbro, uh, 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 like design firm that team, and Kenner ended up going radically different because I think something to do with like like environmentalism and like organic '90s grunge. I don't know mm. why, but. They decided that cars are boring. We're going to make these Transformers turn into animals. Uh-huh. And that line was Beast Wars colon Transformers. So, the, so like, Transformers was almost secondary. Yes, gotcha. Yeah, it was kind of more just like these transform, but we really want you to kind of the beast is more in the forefront. I mean, well, hell, we just did Jurassic Park. I mean, was this around the time? Yeah, yeah. It would have fit in that Jurassic Park. I remember Park. I had a sort of a dino bot, essentially, yeah. or a couple from that line, from probably the Beast Wars line that was super cool and probably based on me like really liking dinosaurs around that time and everything. Um, but it wasn't until 96 that uh, – the uh, computer animated series Beast Wars was released. That was uh, by main produced by rather Mainframe Entertainment, which is now Rainmaker Studios out of Canada, and they would be known for a little known, probably well known to you if you're a kid from this time. First ever CGI animated series reboot. I've even seen people on our Facebook page uh, call d- cry for a reboot episode. Who I knows? loved, Maybe I loved reboot as a as a kid. I did not. The reboot was like right after my time. I feel like I was just like, what is it? And it looked really clunky to me. It looked very. I just didn't like the look of it. You know what I mean? Which is probably I probably also wouldn't have liked the look of Beast Wars because of this. Um, but uh, what did it, what was it for you, Jake? Uh, it was it just looked like nothing else on TV. It was complete. It was the there was some French thing called Insectors that technically is the first CG animated TV show. Whatever. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're in the know and you're fucking cool, you you're more of a you're more of a what was the name of it again? Inse- whatever. The point is, you're more of an Insector uh, dude. Mainframe Entertainment was uh, a lot of former members of a British collective known as the Hub that were like very much advocating for pushing the limits of what CG imagery can do. They were kind of kind of like how John Lasseter over at Pixar like knew that the technology wasn't there yet, but the first person who was there to take advantage of when the technology was there was going to like rule the world. Uh-huh. Um uh some of the guys there uh uh kind of they did the money for nothing video with those yeah. like weird, you know, got to move these refrigerators. Yeah. Um and so uh, Reboot was their first series. It's, it was, it's very, like, high-minded sci-fi <laughs> mixed with weird uh, pop culture irreverence. Uh, the story editors were Bob Forward and Larry Dottilio. Oh, and for Beast Wars. This is for Beast Wars. This is for Beast Wars, not for... We're going to get to Beast Machines, but that comes later. Mainframe got tapped to do the animation for Beast Wars. Yes. Bob Forward and Larry Dottilio. Bob Forward, uh, his first writing gig was, uh, for TV at least, was He-Man and She-Ra, a Christmas special. But he also wrote for 89's Legend of Zelda cartoon show, All which we've totally episodes. talked about. Excuse me. Excuse me. me. 
princess. He probably wrote that line. And then also the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, uh, which completely rules the school. He's a regular, like, who's who of, like, 80s, 90s tie-in uh, cartoons. Yeah, it's he kind also of did fascinating. 93's Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. Right. It's crazy. So, anyways, like, they, they got this guy. And then Dottilio, he started out on projects like Fat Albert, which actually we just mentioned earlier in the show, and uh, before becoming a staff writer for He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So, also, he's uh, obviously, like, on the toy tick. But Hasbro actually kind of wanted them to not be super familiar with the franchise because they wanted the franchise to kind of go in new directions. So, uh, uh, they were not, actually. Bob Ford and... Um, uh, Dottilio were both kind of two guys just really like ready to kind of just like make it up and, and e they were even like don't watch the old cartoon show we want you to make something new out of this because it's sort of flagging at this point oh also another cool thing about Dottilio he co-wrote a campaign for the Call of Cthulhu role-playing uh tabletop game called The Masks of Nyarlathotep in 84 and uh, this is considered one of the best role playing adventures of all time I bet people at home uh, uh, who are familiar with these sorts of uh, things uh, would probably agree I've definitely heard wonderful things about Call of Cthulhu um, uh, the tabletop uh, game I know like Henry played it for a while back in the day with a bunch of comics and stuff like that. So anyways. So um, the initial reaction to the Beast Wars toy line as well as the cartoon was uh, people were pretty much against it, especially longtime Transformers fans because they had stuck with the franchise uh, in the form of cartoons and comics this whole time. And uh, a famous phrase on the Internet. Drug not monkey. I'm sorry, what? Drug not monkey. Oh, you're saying Optimus Prime is part of his fundamental character is a truck. He is a Autobot, and to to convert him to some kind of monkey man is is blasphemy. I'm saying me me see monkey, and me go no no no, and me see truck, and me go yeah, big strong truck, get all of the girls, make them all the happy girls, and then I have a family, and I live a long life, and I find I finally meet God because I meditate every day and I get enlightenment in my world. Holy shit. Drunk, not monkey. <laughs> uh, so despite that initial misgiving, um, this this show, Beast Wars, ends up becoming a lot of people's like sleeper favorites. It's kind of cool. Um, what they do is they focus initially on a very small cast of auto, I'm sorry, not my, Maximals, and they <laughs> leave a lot to be like discovered. There's a lot of mystery early on in the show. Like what planet did they land on that has all these like proto life forms but transformers takes place in the future and some of this mystery is actually not figured out even by it's kind of a lost mm. it's not exactly figured out by them when they started but they kind of slowly start building the pieces and the lore and kind of discovering new things so at first it wasn't going to be on earth and then it is on earth and then they end it up didn't having take place in like, the what, far future like it was said to be taking place actually they traveled back in time and this was actually taking place in a prehistoric earth which is very cool doing a lot of like really you know the plot twists and things that they didn't necessarily need to do for like this kind of a children's cartoon and well, they really seem to like give a lot of heart to this series which the, is really cool it had a surprising amount of heart a surprising amount of pathos uh you know these were very strong character choices uh kind of propped up by in very strong voice acting uh Scott McNeil as Dinobot is one of the most iconic cartoon performances uh for sci-fi nerds um Gary Chalk as Optimus Primal kind of uh, delivers like a different energy than uh, 
Oh God, I can't even. Re- it's been a week since we talked about this. Uh, the guy that did Optimus Prime's voice. Um, he monkey. <laughs> monkey. Mm. Um, and one of the things that I remember the most about the show was they would because of the nature of the show they would have keep they would have to keep incorporating the new versions of the toys into the show, and rather than just kind of like hand wave it, it would be uh, like character growth would be marked by an upgrade in the characters. Like if, you know, when when a character would become transmetal, that like represented something important, like big things had to change before they before they like gained their upgrades. Peter Cullen, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, that's the uh, I just wanted to say it out loud because if anyone's <clears> listening <throat> and they are losing their minds, P- Peter Cullen, it's it's Peter Cullen, Peter Cullen. Like I've done that before. Frank Welker. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I digress. Uh and this is a, a weird thing is that, like, characters would voice their, like, disappointment and, like, insecurity about ha- having not gotten, like, transmetal Fusor upgrades <laughs> as the series progressed. Characters would fall in love. Characters would die. They addressed, like, all sorts of very interesting issues. They introduced the concept of the spark, which was the soul of a mm-hmm. Transformer. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, like, the spark can, like, change and mutate and live and die. Um the uh, the one there's, a, there's an episode Code of Hero that was mm. particularly beloved. Do you I was know? more of a fan of Transmutate, but okay. Well. What's like a good do you do you Code know? of Hero? That's like a big Dinobot one, right? Is that the one where I Dinobot th- like sacrifices himself? I think so. Do you have a an example of like a plot line uh, of of something that you know kind of was meaningful? Um, uh, Transmutate is uh, the one with the freaky like person face one. They used that clips of that in the opening a lot because it was so freaky. And it, uh, the idea was a pod opened up that had like an incomplete transformer in it who was like freaky and like kind of upsetting and had weird mystical powers. And both the Autobots and the, I'm sorry, I keep saying this, the Maximals <laughs> and the Predacons were after it to like either recruit it or destroy it. But like just this weird new life form mm-hmm. and like the different characters on how they, you know, because Optimus Prime was like, this is a security threat. I'm sorry. Like this things fucking freaky and might kill us all whereas uh silverbolt who was this like nature like one hero uh who was half wolf half falcon pretty rad fell in love with the spider lady again this is a normal show for normal people <laughs> uh people probably cried uh was like no we have to save like all life is precious and th- this these were heavy t- heavy heavy topics for a Transformer show. They eventually tied it back up with the G1 continuity at a certain point because uh, in the Transformers continuity, uh, the Autobots and the, and the Decepticons are like stuck in the Ark for like millions of years until they're reawakened. So like they stumble across the Ark and there's like Optimus Prime's body lying around and like Megatron and Starscream all make appearances. Monkey make big man me cry? <laughs> monkey make big man me cry um (laughs) it even uh had a follow-up series called beast machines which technically it's not season four beast machines was its own original show beast machines seems very interesting it's like a bit of like an evangelion twist or something going on in here this is aired from 99 to 2000 for 26 episodes this guy story editor bob skur uh he describes the series as a religious epic novel for television. Him and his party, Marty Eisenberg, were, again, purposely kept from the old show, requested by Hasbro also to get spiritual with it for some reason. Hasbro themselves seem to 
want them to get more spiritual so it got very philosophical about the different themes it covered was what it meant to live in an increasingly technological society the dichotomy between the desires of the individual and the needs of the whole the inevitability of conflict and the inequality of a free society the ugly consequences of fanaticism and the paradox of living in a technological world these were sort of the they didn't really have the budget to cover like a, a lot if i remember correctly a lot of beast machines was like uh, the are like you know Optimus Primal Rat Trap uh, Cheetor all these characters we we learned to get along with in Beast Wars kind of just scurrying in underground tunnels because they had to hide from like the all encompassing Megatron government mm. but you never got to see any of the other actual auto like they didn't have the budget to show citizens under this like full rule so right. it's just them fighting other like drones and then just kind of like scurrying away but the point is that this was high minded this was uh, dramatic this was for lack for especially by children's cartoon standards very well written very epic and like it, it's kind of funny that this was like the height of transformers as a as a semi-serious thing that was also a toy line and uh it sold you know the beast wars line sold very well i was always freaked out by those toys because like it's one thing to like twist a, a car axle and like to flip a jet uh, canopy open uh -huh. but like to split a rat's arms apart and to like pull out a head it's like like the original Optimus Primal with the way the gorilla head like shifts down into his chest it's just very unsettling to take apart living creatures like that but whatever I uh I uh well this is okay wait this is gonna be a total sidebar okay um I is this Transformers though? Because I wanted, I just realized, like, I wanted to do. I'm kicking myself for not doing research on the McDonald's Transformer Happy Meals. Like, they would transform <laughs> into like a hamburger and like French fries and stuff. Were those officially Transformers? I don't remember. I'm trying to look it I up furiously right up. now, but I loved those. I mean, I think the Happy Meal might be an episode at some point. That actually uh, would be the you know the, kids the, meals definitely. The for, rise and fall of McDonaldland would be amazing. Yeah, would be sweet. And and uh, yeah. I, I see them right here on sale, but yeah, oh my god, I loved these so much. I don't, yeah, they're Transformers. They're technically Transformers. Maybe I'll try to do a little digging and we can talk about it in some kind of a bonus situation. But um, I just wanted to give a shout out to those Transformers toys. I loved those toys. And thanks, Mom, for getting me those uh, Happy Meals. But by the early 2000s, the line had kind of, uh, the, the show, the comics, it had all kind of made its run. And so it was... You know, it's I mean, yeah, that's 2000, right? Mm -hmm. So 2000s when I think it's kind of officially done after Beast Machines Transformers. Uh, and I, I definitely remember it kind of went away. Um, but let's take a little step back in time to uh, Los Angeles in 1965. A bookstore owner slash child psychiatrist mother <laughs> and an accountant father made sweet, delicious love. Intercourse that must have lasted all of seven to minutes to, to an hour. You uh, know? I, I'm only speculating and here. And then having realized that they couldn't bear children, naturally they adopted Michael Bay. Is that what you were getting at? <laughs> is he adopted? Michael Bay is the adopted son of Jewish parents. What? <laughs> I was not even, I was like being real. I didn't know. <laughs> my B. Sorry, y'all. I'll, I'll do better next week, all right, with my searches. <laughs> 
His cousin was Susan Bay, who is the widow of Leonard Nimoy, who would be the voice of a Transformer back in uh, the Transformers the movie, the 80s one. And he would later be cast, spoiler alert, he gets cast later in Transformers Dark of the Moon. We'll get there. Uh, as a boy, Michael Bay attached some firecrackers to a toy train and filmed it with his mother's 8mm camera. Uh, the fire department was called. He got grounded, and his dream became reality. He decides he wants to get into film. At 15, he becomes the... Fu- I hate him for this fact. He just happens to get an internship with George Lucas. He didn't... Ha- okay, okay, okay. How does this so, fucking shit right. go down? Uh, I don't get this. I'm going to be drawing from the oral history of Michael Bay, which was a GQ post. What? Um, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating uh, for a lot of this, but so... Uh, first of all, son of a psychologist, always a red flag for yes. a fucked up upbringing. Yes. Um, you know, hung around Hebrew school, was just kind of like uh, a shy kid, uh, ends up becoming like a semi MVP for his like Jewish day schools uh, baseball team, which by Jewish, I mean, having gone to a Jewish uh, day school, uh, not that big of an accomplishment. <laughs> um he ends up uh, doing the Pirates of Penzance for the theater, Hell for the yeah. student theater. Uh, so Michael Bay's earliest touch with showbiz was um, uh, doing an hour and a half operetta, which is interesting. Mm. Um, <laughs> he was the lead singing Frederick. Uh, uh, Michael Bay says, I was very into uh, advanced train sets with towns and cities and whatever. The detail of it. I like the control. I remember my parents used to come up to me and say, Michael, we think you need to get outside more. And I remember thinking, oh, no, am I that fucked up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, his mom says that uh, Michael had a kind of ADD kind of energy, very hyper-focused. Mm. Um, that would make sense. So uh, his friend, uh, Casey Hodenfeld, who uh, actually is going to uh, ends up being the first assistant director for various Bay films, says that he had started a softball team at Lucasfilm, and there was a whiny teenage kid who would come around with the president of the company's son. So just ha- by the nature of going to a private school in Los Angeles, he ended up being friends with the son of the president of LucasArts. Jesus Christ. Uh, and he wanted to play in the game. So now I got to get this kid some playing time. And it turns out it was Michael Bay. Um, <laughs> and from that connection, he ends up uh, getting a summer internship. And one of his first jobs was uh, filing the storyboards for Raiders of the Lost Ark. He thought that movie was going to be horrible. He saw these stills and he thought to himself, this movie, he's 15 years old. Mm-hmm. He's seeing movies, seeing stills, uh, the fil- uh, the storyboards, getting them all organized. And he's just like, this looks like hot trash, Jake. Um so he d- he does actually do that. Uh, he does actually experiment with filmmaking and decides to get an interest in it, especially after his uh, internship at Lucasfilm. And he gets into uh, Wesleyan, uh, a uh, East Coast private school, very small. Oh, uh, we'll say too. He ends up seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm. realizing he was totally wrong. Uh, and after seeing so, uh, or after uh, this happening, he walks out of the theater deciding to become a film director. That's when uh, he ends up going in, majoring in both English and film at Wesleyan. Um, and, uh, yeah, do you have any uh, factoids about the Wesleyan experience? Uh, just that um, he... He was uh, annoying? <laughs> no, no, well, kind of, kind of. <laughs> so Wesleyan is this small East Coast school, very liberal, very artsy-fartsy, and especially at that time, like all the film majors are like dressed in black and they like make black and white films about death and like romance and stuff. And he was just like in the back just being like, uh, 
this is bullshit. This is bullshit. This isn't fun. None of you are making anything fun. I thought movies were fun. Um, and his uh, actually, and his uh, film professor loves him. Uh, her name is something uh, uh, Janine Bassinger. Uh, her his uh, film producer at Wesleyan. She ends up writing uh, the intro for the Criterion edition of Armageddon. Yes, <laughs> Armageddon is a Criterion collection film, uh, and she actually found him refreshing because you know he was he was zagging while all the other students were zigging in like indie kind of you know navel gazy stuff. He was trying to like you know make things pop and work with visuals and like convey information, and he would like be quiet except he would still speak up if he thought someone was spouting bullshit uh-huh and so uh i i forget how exactly he uh gets his big break or how he starts getting into propaganda uh, films yes well he starts out directing commercials and music videos of propaganda films this is this propaganda films is a launch pad for an unbelievable roster of directors. So there's some other directors that have worked for Propaganda Films. David Lynch, Zack Snyder, Spike Jones, David Fincher. I mean, it's crazy. He ends up uh, doing making a World War II-inspired Coca-Cola ad, mm-hmm. <laughs> as, well as, shooting, as well as shooting the Got Milk ad campaign. Um, it's kind of crazy. Um, and he's winning all these awards for, for that. Uh, uh, and then he goes into directing. He also does a lot of, like, if you think of, um, it's it's kind of a weird uh, conflagration, I guess, where uh, a lot of uh, Victoria's Secrets ads were done by him. Mm-hmm. And when you think about how he shoots women now, it's yeah, like it he makes, has... <laughs> Yeah, makes so much sense. So And, and, and he, he ends up directing videos such as I Touch Myself. And this one makes a lot of sense. I do anything for love, but I won't do that. He had a plane crash in a meatloaf music video. <laughs> and I Love You by Vanilla Ice. Oh. Uh, and, and these music videos, well, they get the attention of a duo of producers. And their names are Jerry Brockheimer and Don Simpson. They're a producer team that made, uh, like, every big hit in the 80s. Flashdance, Top Gun, Beverly Hills Cop, all these just big summer blockbusters. And they choose uh, Bay, Michael Bay, to direct his first feature ever, which is Bad Boys. According to Michael Bay, he had gotten movie offers before, but had turned them all down. They sent me Saving Private Ryan, but I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> uh, so he makes Bad Boys with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Now, this is this is amazing. This is something I learned uh, doing research. Uh the original script, the original uh, package for Bad Boys was intended not for Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. The original two actors uh, signed up were John Lovitz and Dana Carvey. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Michael <laughs> Bay shot so. a, a test reel with the two of them, and uh, <laughs> uh, Disney hated the test footage. How can we get a hold of this test reel? It's got I, to exist. Got, like, it's, How do we see this? <laughs> like... Just a, I, those were like two of my favorite comedic actors at that time. Oh, and or can we just get the two of them to react or reenact it like, you know, uh, in front of a green screen today? I mean, can we just do that? That would actually almost be funnier. Katzenberg personally turned it down. So they took the movie to Sony and Sony desperately wanted to put Arsenio Hall in the movie because he was a big star at the time that was contracted with them. Mm. Um, but then, it, like for some reason, the scheduling didn't work out with them. So then they suggested Martin Lawrence. So Martin Lawrence was the first one signed up. 
Uh, and uh, so they they make it for 19 million bucks. It grosses 141 million. It actually it's like Will Smith is Smith's big launching pad out of TV into big Hollywood blockbusters. Like this was a huge movie for him. And I remember is, it was a you know a really hot enjoyable flick when it came out. And this is part of like the agony and ecstasy of Michael Bay is. It took Michael Bay to put Will Smith to that next level because he was a sitcom star. He was the mm. goofy nephew in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But then when he's running down the street with his shirt off with holding a handgun shot by Michael Bay, all of a sudden he is a movie star. Uh-huh. Like you just see him instantly as a movie star larger than life because of the way Michael Bay shoots people. Hello, my fellow wizards and bruisers. It is me, your host, your number one soft boy, Jake, here to talk to you about this week's sponsor, Keeps.com. Now, I've mentioned that I used to be very self-conscious about my thinning hair, and in order to treat that, I used to jump through all sorts of hoops and pay buttloads of money just to keep it under check. But now there's a much easier way to go about it, and that's through Keeps. All you have to do is go through a simple five-minute sign-up process. A real doctor will go over your case, and then they'll recommend one or two clinically proven treatments that do actually stop hair loss and in a few cases might even help you grow back some. Getting started with Keeps is easy. The sign-up process is entirely online and takes just five minutes. You snap some photos and answer a few basic questions, and a real doctor remotely reviews your info and recommends the right treatment. I did my entire sign-up process from the back of a taxi cab. Uh, My girlfriend helped snap the pictures. Whatever. Uh, Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. And treatment is cheap. It's about $10 to $35 a month, depending on your plan. And now, if you sign up, you can get your first month free. a really good deal. The fact is, the longer you put it off, the more hair you lose and the more hair you don't get to keep. To receive your first month of treatment for free, go to keeps.com slash wizard. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard. That is a whole month of treatment for free at keeps.com slash wizard. Keeps. Hair today, hair tomorrow. Now, after that, Bay makes, I mean, a fant- honestly, a fantastic uh, action film uh, as well. I mean, Bad Boys, I think, is pretty great, too. Uh, the Rock with Sean Connery, Nick Cage, and Ed Harris. Um, one of the best action movies ever made. One of, one of the greatest action movies ever made. Um, Don Simpson, the... Uh, Aaron Sorkin doing punch-up writing on it. Mm-hmm. Don Simpson, the other half, uh, the the half, one half of that Jerry Brockheimer, Don Simpson production duo, he dies five months after the release, so that's why it's just Jerry Brockheimer kind of mo- uh, moving forward. Um, they, it's it, it's the film is so successful uh, that the Bay establishes Bay Films, his production company. Um, he ends up making a two film deal with Disney. I mean, th- now he's on fire, right? Mm-hmm. It's like boom, Bad Boys, boom, the ro- the Rock. Now it's it's just like Bay is on top of on top of his shit. He ends up um, doing the two movie deal, and those two movies are Armageddon and Pearl Harbor. I don't want to close my eyes. Don't make me cry, Jake. Don't Stop it, Jake. You're making me cry, Jake. You're making me cry, Jake. Don't want to miss the thing. You're making me. Because even when I try, I have a half heart, and I'm crying right now, Jake. I never did. Oh. I still miss you, man. And I don't want to miss a thing. That part when they're just being all loving each other and and, and then they is start. That, wait, is that, the, is that the one where they have the animal crackers on Liv Tyler's belly? I or think is so, that, yeah. Oh, that's so silly. <laughs> um, yeah, Armageddon, man. I think that was one of the first big 
blockbusters that I personally was like, I think this might be stupid. <laughs> and then Pearl Harbor came out, and I was like, this is re- definitely stupid. Uh I mean, Pearl Harbor was uh, was his attempt to do Titanic. Yes. Because the Titanic winning formula was first half of the movie, pure romantic. Yes. Second half of the movie, just pure violence porn. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, just he did not have the wherewithal to kind of nail the romance part. Couldn't really do it. Never is ever able to really do it, arguably. Uh, Pearl Harbor, I think, too, is the first time Bay's getting some real... I mean, I guess Armageddon probably got some of it, but it's, the critics are really start coming down on him, I think, on Pearl Harbor to start, right? Uh, Pearl Harbor I mean, is... he's always had a contentious relationship with movie critics. He's like, he's, he's got quotes where he's talks about, he's like, I don't make movies for movie critics, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, Pearl Harbor, I feel like, was that first moment that everybody started going, wait, what? Do you, what? Yeah. What is this? What's happening? <laughs> is any of this accurate? <laughs> uh, oh, none of it is? I mean, it still made a ton of money. The idea that this yes. was his first flop is kind of... Uh, it's not a flop. I'm saying no. it's the first movie the critics started to... No, critics weren't even into Bad Boys or The Rock. They oh, thought okay. it was all like Sound and Fury. They All real dumb. Yeah, because like they weren't... The Rock, I feel like The Rock is kind of on like another echelon of... I guess not. But it was still cut like an MTV video the whole time. So like they You want to see uh, who killed JFK? So old so older critics were not up to, were not ready for the pace of it and Armageddon just like I'm sorry, Army, uh, Pearl Harbor just tried to go legit and just the the crassness at the heart of Bay Bayhem just could not quite <laughs> Did you just come up with Bayhem? No, Bayhem is a very established Okay, term. cool. Because, oh, man, I was about to congratulate you. And, again, attempt to high-five you over this table. I miss you more than Michael Bay <laughs> missed the mark when he made Pearl Harbor. I need you What's more than Cuba Gooding needs a better part. He's way better than Ben Affleck and now all I'm trying to say is now that you've gone away, Pearl Harbor sucked. I miss you. That's from uh, Team America, World Police. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um uh man, we gotta we gotta do an episode on those guys at some point. Yeah, I'd love it. Uh so anywho, uh after that comes Bad Boys Two. And a great movie. He, great movie. Great action flick again. Just I mean he you know, the man knows how to turn an action flick. Um it's fantastic. But then the not so well performing the island. After oh that, God. with Ewan McGregor and Scarlett Johansson, I didn't even really remember this movie. Did you see this movie? I didn't see it. Barely anyone saw it. It just didn't like. It just didn't quite he click. Was trying with to our... do something different, I think maybe. Um, I just remember the weird rumblings that, like, as a, a Mystery Science Theater three thousand fan, the fact was the plot was note for note taken from Clonus the Parts Horror, <laughs> which was you know the idea that like on a seemingly idyllic island, a bunch of like clones. Uh, live their lives not realizing that they're just like basically walking organ donation bags for rich people in the real world. Um, they ended up like suing over it. They settled oh, wow. it out of court. Uh, so anywho. But uh, famously, Michael Bay like reused shots from the island and added Transformers effects to it <laughs> because he was like, no, fuck you. I worked hard on these shots. Well, You're isn't it Pearl them. Harbor too? Isn't Pearl Harbor also used or some, some other movie? I, d- I wouldn't doubt it. So, anywho, a man named Don Murphy, he cut his teeth as an onset producer on Natural Born Killers. He produced on uh, From Hell and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Well, he wants to make a G.I. Joe adaptation. Uh, the problem. 
problem was the, the United States had just launched the invasion of Iraq. This is 03. Hasbro suggests maybe he should work on Transformers instead. Military's a little dicey. We don't, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to oh, mess with that's it. So f- I didn't realize this part of the story because <laughs> in the Transformers movies, Michael Bay fucking jerks it to the U.S. military. Like oh, every hard. Yeah. So hard. Well, that's the thing, right? They're like, get away from the military, and then we'll see it come all the way full circle. And when Bay comes <laughs> in, he's like, we need more military. Uh, so anywho. Um, Tom, it's something he learned doing Pearl Harbor mm. was that if he like includes pro military messaging in his like this is one of those dark secrets of Hollywood they get better points um, no 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 that uh, the military will let oh, you like yes. use equipment and like will let you film during um, like training exercises yes. to get like cool shots or even just loan you like planes uh, if you include pro military language and imagery in your film because that helps recruitment numbers. Interesting. So Michael Bay very quickly learned that like, you know, it's one of his tricks in his back pocket. And once he established those relationships in the department of defense, like basically in any movie, he can just add fighter jets to them. Cause he just has that button to hit. Yes. Uh, so there's another man, Tom DeSanto. Uh, he did a lot of work on the first two X-Men movies. He's a big fan of the franchise. He hops on board. Uh, and, um, Uh, I I love his quote uh, about uh, getting into the Transformers uh, movie. In all the years of movie making, I don't think the image of a truck transforming into a 20-foot-tall robot has ever been captured on screen. I also want to make a film that's an homage to 1980s movies and gets back to the sense of wonder that Hollywood has lost over the years. It will have those Spielbergian moments where you have the push-in on the wide-eyed kid and you feel like you're 10 years old even if you're 35. Uh, they, you know, they they kind of start working together. Murphy wants it to be like uh, more of a realistic disaster film type thing. DeSanto, though, as he just said in his quote, he wants a more human point of view. Well, uh, lucky for them, especially for DeSanto, who wanted it to be Spielbergian. Steven Spielberg himself signs on as executive producer. This is in 2004. Uh, he was actually is a fan of the Transformers from the 80s, so he really does. I have kinda- a Spielberg quote. Please. Uh, Again, from the oral history. uh, I couldn't think of a better director to turn a truck into a robot and make us believe it was really happening. Transformers are cars that change into robots. Who better at shooting cars than Michael Bay? Well, Bay dismisses the film as a, quote, stupid toy movie, uh, end quote. And it was only after visiting Hasbro and, uh, you know, having them kind of give him their pitch to him that he is actually convinced uh, to make this movie, he he, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg, he wants it to be like a, a boy in his car type movie, and uh, I get that. He felt the first draft was uh, Michael Bay felt the first draft was too kiddie and increased the military's role in the movie, as we just discussed. And also um, another way that he was able to get a lot of cars and things and and toys to play with and destroy and blow up in his movie was by product placement deals not just with the military but also with general motors gm provides nearly 200 cars to be destroyed in the final battle scene as well as alternate forms for most of the autobots um 
Yeah, it was it was uh, you know uh, uh, just a explosion fest. They've got an that's 80- why Bumblebee goes from a VW Bug to I think it's a Dodge Charger, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's an eighty three day shooting schedule. And this makes so much sense after learning this. Michael Bay he really keeps a, a, a tight, fast pace. He's a bit of a drill sergeant on the set, and he's known for doing more camera setups than per usual in order to keep his tight schedules. Um, yeah, I have. Have it written here that he re he reused footage from Pearl Harbor. I wish I knew exactly what that was. Um, Spielberg encourages Bay to rest- restrict this computer gem- generated imagery to the robots and the background elements and the action sequences. Uh, and Bay- I'm sorry, he's a Chevy Camaro. Ah, Chevy Camaro. Yes, that's a fun. It's a fun scene. Yeah, with um, Shia LaBeouf and uh, Megan Fox there. Oh, okay. <laughs> um. Okay, so one of the key one of the key things that like really makes the Transformers movies for me kind of dissonant um, is that there was still this Spielberg touch. He's like he they still wanted that Spielberg energy because he was on board as a producer, but like the way they framed Sam Witwicky and the way they framed uh, 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 Schlegor. Uh, no, um, uh, that's my name Ma- for oh, Megan this, Fox's character. No, no. You, oh, if you remember correctly, <laughs> uh, Megan Fox's character was. Michaela Baines, <laughs> aka Michael Bay. Oh my god, Mike- Michaela Baines. Oh my god. Um, so the script, Sam Witwicky, <laughs> is this like hapless, every kid, like nerd kind of guy. You know, I didn't know that, Jake, because it was like watching a horror movie, <laughs> doing the research for this. Every now and again, I'd have to put my hands over my eyes and go, ah, and then I'd miss certain facts, you know. Uh, and you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, Megan Fox's character is supposed to be this like plucky like mechanic girl who like you know fell on hard times but is rough and tumble and capable but like in Michael Bay's hands Shia LaBeouf becomes a giant simpering pussy mm-hmm. and Megan Fox just becomes the world's most like popular teenage abdomen of 2005 yes <laughs> because like even though if you uh, there's Lindsay Ellis is a YouTube film critic who I think is uh, does really good work um and she she has a whole series about this. And the idea is when you're watching uh, Megan Fox in this movie, uh, she's like talking about like, yeah, my old man like stole cars. I like wouldn't turn him in. That's why I got a juvie record. And like mm-hmm. boys don't like it when you're better at cars than them. I guess it's kind of my, you know, she's like telling a sympathetic story. But the way the camera treats her is just like, look at this girl <laughs> meat. Yeah. <laughs> Get a load of them honky wonkies. I, I see the cameraman as the wolf and droopy dog <laughs> cartoons, just like the eyes popping out and just the tongue going down and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So that that uh, and by the later Bay movies, they kind of lose all of that. Uh, can we please can we please quiet down the awoogas on set? <laughs> all right. This got. Do I have to make it a close set? No more. Awo- if I ever want more awooga today. By the end, you know, by by Transformers four and five, they ditch Shia LaBeouf for for Mark Wahlberg, who's just like every man ass kicker. Mark Wahlberg, uh-huh. uh, Cade Yeager, and they don't even like do anything about like high school romance. They even do you do you know about the scene in Age of Extinction where like the core conflict <laughs> no. is that Mark Wahlberg's seventeen year old daughter is in a uh, relationship with a 21 year old guy and he like busts out a, a literal index card with the Texas Romeo and Juliet law ex- that explains why technically it's not statutory rape. Ugh. 
Um, Jesus. And I'm, by the way, how dare you skip past Revenge of the Fallen? Well, we're definitely going to spend I'm, some time I just on wanted that. to, I just wanted to, as long as we're talking about Steven Spielberg, I just yes. want to say that like, yes. there's this energy in the earlier Transformers, in the first Transformers movie that fades very quickly as Michael Bay gains more control. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, this movie, one cool thing though, heads up, a big, big nod to this. Casting Peter Cullen as the voice of Optimus Prime, the man whose name you forgot earlier, the 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 well-known voice of Optimus Prime. Uh, uh, that was one kind of uh, handout to the fans mm-hmm. for for this monstrosity that broke the record for biggest July Four gross with twenty nine million dollars. And as of November uh, two thousand seven, the film had made over three hundred nineteen million dollars domestically, and here's the whopper: seven hundred and nine million dollars worldwide. Because no matter how these fucking movies perform here, which they always perform pretty well worldwide. It is like bananas how much people love these movies. I have very complicated thoughts about this. <laughs> okay. Um, let's get into a few more movies before we do like a post-op on Michael. Okay. Ben. So, so Revenge of the Fallen is un- one of the critically one of the worst movies ever made. Un- unbelievable. I can't wait. I, I, I have, I talked to Jake about, I, I think we need to do a giggle flicks on this one. Hopefully at some point I must see this movie. My friend who, my good friend, Adam, you know, Adam, mm-hmm. he, he's a film major. He may, you know, we've done a bunch of video projects together and stuff. I, he, this was a long time ago. He was describing to me this. He, he goes to see like every movie or whatever. And his brother kind of dragged him to this one. And he literally like said he had to like walk out into the lobby at one point and just pace around and just being like, what the fuck is happening? Like, what is real? What is even, you know? Like, it just put him into this daze. Well, um, a lot of this is to blame by the 2007-2008 Writers Guild of America strike. Um, and there were also other sh- uh, threats of strikes around that time from other guilds, especially the Directors Guild. Um, so they, they convinced the original writers, uh, who were Roberto Orci and Alex Kurtzman, to return as uh uh the, and and they were reluctant and they also were like hey we need you guys to just like bust out a treatment for this movie mm-hmm. i don't we don't care what it takes uh, you know it, we got to have it in 2 weeks because this strike is just about to happen they handed in right before it happened bay then expanded the outline into i've never heard this word before a 60 page scriptment mm-hmm. which is <laughs> Somewhere between a actual script and it's like brunch, Jake. It's not really breakfast. It's not really lunch. It's just brunch. It's uh, it's it's uh, uh something in between. The the writers uh, were later locked into their hotel rooms to finish it over four months, but um, it was just a shit show. I mean, this sound from the sounds of it, from all you know, from what I what I've been looking at, um, uh, Shia LaBeouf almost got stabbed through the eye socket while filming. <laughs> Uh, they, it, uh, they were literally writing the script like on the day, Mm -hmm. pretty much every day. I mean, it was just one of those complete and utter shit shows. Bay says it was a very bad way to make a movie. We were stuck in a bad time in Hollywood. And as a director, you feel bad because these people are so loyal and they all have families. Transformers gives 2000, maybe 2,500 people jobs. And I couldn't let them down. Uh, Shia LaBeouf says we got lost we tried to get bigger it's what happens to sequels it's like how do you top the first one you've got to go big
bigger. Michael Bay went so big that it became too big, and I think you lost the anchor of the movie. The, you lost a bit of the relationships. Unless you have those relationships, then the movie doesn't matter. Then it's just a bunch of robots fighting each other. You know, honestly, it almost would have been better. Uh, there's also another great uh, Shia LaBeouf. I'm actually good. Well, let's play the clip here. Um, it's, it's Shia LaBeouf comparing uh, making Transformers Revenge of the Fallen to making uh, Apocalypse Now. You know, coming out of, like, the second movie where, you know, we had our hiccups, you know, and, and there was good things, but there was more bad things. Um, and, you know, I, I, I make, I, I sort of, before I came out here, I saw, I watched Heart of Darkness, mm -hmm. you know, and, and in it you have Francis Ford Coppola saying to camera, I have too much money, I have no script, and I'm going to shoot myself in the head, you know, and, and. It's sort of what the conundrum of what Are our second movie. Are you Sheen or Brando? I just want to get that <laughs> <laughs> straight though. Probably Sheen. Probably Sheen. Probably Sheen. <laughs> okay. Sheen had a heart attack. I, you know, lost my fingers. Right, sort of. Okay. There's a lot of similarities. Okay. Bay has admitted his disappointment with the film, as you were just saying, Jake, and he has apologized for the film. He was saying that it was as as I as he quotes, crap. It was very hard to put the sequel together that quickly after the writer's strike of 2007-2008. Um, and he also, uh, I mean, there's so many things wrong with this movie. We, we didn't even get to the racist stuff. Oh, uh, well. Mudflap and Skids. Yeah, they had, had the twins. They're yes. known colloquially as the twins. Ah, yes. Um, so Michael Bay, like, has a very, like, he always includes like some very I don't uh, I'm so ill-equipped to talk about this shit. Um, some like very like oh no you didn't black humor in his films. Right, 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 right. Um, and like it's kind of a weird thing where like you know you see these like skips and mud flap and like they make jokes like I don't know how to read <laughs> like it's like Jesus. they have their gold teeth. Right. They're they're just like uh, one of them I think is Tom Kenny the 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 SpongeBob voice <laughs> which is just doing a weird doing a weird black voice. Yeah. Um and like you want to be like hey that's dumb. Hey that's like fucking you're not supposed to, you don't do that anymore. <laughs> But the fact is, again, these films do so well internationally that, like, it's only the people who are keyed into knowing why stuff like that is fucked up has a problem with it. And everyone else is like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, it's such a fucking catch-22, especially for, like, two white guys like us to, like, pick apart. Well, let's just say, uh, see what another, uh, I'm going to assume, white guy, maybe not, though. Critic Scott Mendelson says, to say we that... Don't, there's no way to be sure. There's no way to be sure. <laughs> to say that these two are the most astonishingly racist caricatures that I've ever seen in a mainstream motion picture would be an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> there are really great critic quotes, by the way. We're going to have them coming on in. Um, I also... Uh, Bay, I, uh, of these characters, Bay said, we're just putting more personality in. <laughs> That's the quote. <laughs> well, especially after the other black ro black Autobot jazz got fucking torn into torn in pieces after he like just showed up and was like, man, this is a cool place to kick it. Now, the, another g giant issue with this movie that makes it literally like difficult for audiences to watch it is the uh, inclusion of the IMAX format. Well, uh, you know, after Avatar, uh, there was a big talk around Hollywood, like everything needs to be shot for IMAX. Well, Bay decides kind of like in a The Room style, Tommy Wiseau kind of uh, uh, move. He decides he's going to use the format but just on a shot-by-shot -shot basis. So he combines conventional 35-millimeter footage with IMAX shots in some sequences, and this approach just made it really unpleasant 
for moviegoers to experience. It just is jarring. And that is one thing I'm really excited to look out for if and when we do a giggle flicks on this because I, I, I just need to know what that's like. Oh, that's weird. It sounds horrible. I don't know. Christopher Nolan did that for Dark Knight. I, and it worked okay? Yeah, I saw it on like a full-size like IMAX screen. Like I had to go to like a science center or something. And it was one of the best cinematic experiences of my life. But he didn't he mixed and matched with IMAX? Yeah, some, shot the whole for Dark Knight, some sites, some some sequences were shot in IMAX and others really? weren't. Yeah, well, real I don't cool. know. The way that Bay did it apparently was just made it very jarring. The product placement goes on. Oh, don't on. forget Devastator's giant wrecking ball nuts. <laughs> Devastator, the famous Constructicon combiner uh, creation, uh, uh, has two wrecking balls where his testicles would be. <laughs> and John Turturro like, gives some lines like, I, have, I, have, I am placed below the scrotum of the target. <laughs> <laughs> the product placement is outrageously long. It's just like... There's a Mountain Dew robot. There's a Nokia robot. Burger King, 7-Eleven, LG Phones, Kmart, oh, no, Walmart, YouTube, Nike... M&M's, a fast food chain from the Philippines called Jollibee. There's oh, yeah, just yeah. an in, there's just an unbelievable. Don't amount. shit talk Jollibee. They make good chicken and spaghetti. Dude, I will eat the fuck out of that chicken. There's spaghetti. one in Queens. Let's go right now. You know, I'll, I will go with you to <laughs> where I live and have that. Uh, so yeah, it is just it is just incredible. And when the reviews come in, they come in. Roger Ebert uh, describes it as a horrible experience of unbearable length. Uh, if you want to save yourself the ticket price, go into the kitchen, cue up a male choir singing the music of hell, and get a kid to start banging pots and pans together. Then close your eyes and use your imagination. Ebert also says, The day will come when Transformers Revenge of the Fallen will be studied in film classes and shown at cult film festivals. It will be seen in retrospect as marking the end of an era. Of course, there will be many more CGI-based action epics, but never again one this bloated, excessive, incomprehensible, long at 45, uh, 145, 49 minutes, rather, or expensive, as it was made for $200 million. Peter Travers says, The Revenge of the Fallen has a shot at the title of worst movie of the decade. Uh, on every level, this movie is as bankrupt as GM, transformed, uh, Transformers The Revenge of the Fallen is beyond bad. It carves out its own category of god-awfulness. By the way, of course, in a, in a bizarre turn, I wonder if they actually, some of this was caused by how many cars they donated to the first <laughs> film, but GM was far too like bankrupt and, and down on money in, or, in order to give the same support to the film that they were able to give in the first movie. Um, so that was also an issue for them. It just seems like it was an issue and a problem at every single turn. There's also just... They go all. Uh, they just. They keep traveling to different spaces for no reason. They're going to Egypt and they're going to. It just doesn't. It's just insane. It's just insanity. Um, there's like all this weird, misplaced like magic in it that just doesn't make any sense. I need to see this movie. I'm talking around it too much because I have not quite. You know, I I I wanted to watch it before we recorded the episode, but I also think that it needs to be a giggle flicks, and I want to experience it for the first time with you, my partner. Jake Young. I just, my only memory of it is watching it on uh, in the rec room of my uncle's house in Atlanta uh, with my, like most of my family. And as it was on, just as it kept going, we all just were like in awe. Just at, during like the big action scene in the by the pyramids, just being like, "Does anybody know what the fuck is happening?" Because and everyone was like, "No, literally, do not." <laughs> um, uh, Dark of the Moon is the third movie. Dark uh, of the Moon is ma- the third. Fam- uh, the famous drama is when Megan Fox, in an interview, uh, called Michael Bay kind of Hitlerish. <laughs> 
and the uh, ex- and the kind of blowout from that uh, uh, got her replaced by some Victoria's Secret model. The actress name I forgot. It is very obvious that the uh, like they did very little editing to establish the actress as a new character because it ends with like a wedding. It ends with like a marriage proposal, <laughs> which makes no sense. Uh, so the movie even says like, I hope she doesn't dump us like that last girl. And a, like a transfer goes like, she was mean. <laughs> Um, babe, babe, uh, in the in this dark of the moon, babe. Actually, wait, Megan. Fo- uh, uh, this is a quote from Michael Bay about Megan Fox. He might have read it before, but he says, "I wasn't hurt because I know that's just Megan. Megan loves to get a response, and she does it in kind of the wrong way." I'm sorry, Megan. I'm sorry I made you work 12 hours. I'm sorry that I'm making you show up on time. Movies are not always warm and fuzzy. And then he goes on to say, because that's how that's that's real fun. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, P.S. Megan Fox, welcome back. I promise no alien robots will harm you in any way during the production of this motion picture. Please consult your physician when working under the, my direction, because some side effects can occur, such as mild dizziness, intense nausea, suicidal tendencies, depression, minor chest hair growth, random internal hemorrhaging, and inability to sleep. As some directors may be hazardous to your health, please consult your doctor to determine if this is right for you. This is uh, Will Smith talking about his experience uh, being directed by Michael Bay. Uh, One day he comes up to my trailer and says, can you guys step out here for a second? So we go, and he points up at the sky and says, you see that big fucking orange thing? When that goes down, this scene's over. So I don't give a fuck what you say. Just make sure you say it in my shot. (laughs) Uh, Scarlett Johansson says he can be merciless at times. Um, uh, and LaBeouf says about Dark of the Moon, he basically wanted to make Transformers Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Which I thought was good times. They make it more, you know, they kind of, they, they make it happening more in one condensed space. Um, they, uh, honestly, from all account, from all intents and purposes, Bay really didn't want to make this third film as soon oh, as they did he the wanted studio head literally during a las vegas like bender with one of the studio heads the studio heads uh went up to bay and was like listen we need another fucking transformers movie or i'm gonna get fired <laughs> and um yeah it, it bay promised not to have the dorky comedy quote unquote from the last film so anyways dark of the moon comes out i guess it's uh what buzz well, aldrin shows up oh that's cool yeah uh, would you say it's better than the first two? Was it? I never uh, actually saw Dark of the Moon. Okay, uh, I know it's the one that had Leonard Nimoy as Sentinel Prime. Yes, and le- yeah. Uh, but again, it's like the Revenge of the Fallen, or yeah, whatever the Fallen. All these movies are about these like ancient Autobot MacGuffins that like were long lost or whatever, and it's just a bunch of sound and noise till the MacGuffins like do their thing, and it it's just it just it's just on repeat and. Yeah. The point isn't the plot. Yeah. Like uh the, it's w- the noise. The way that Michael Bay just does not really care about dialogue. He cares about shots, he cares about action, he cares about practical effects weaving into digital effects. He cares about like sick burns and attitude. Um it's it's like sound poems. It's just sights and sounds. Uh do you remember like Holden, do you like a fireworks show? Yeah, absolutely. It's like amazing. It's like it's one of the most viscerally thrilling and like pleasing sensations to like look up to the sky and see a fireworks show. Do you ever remember a specific firework <laughs> ever? That's Do a you really ever good like really no. like look back? It's like, oh man, when it did the flower blossom, flower blossom, right. smiley face, American flag. I knew this was one of the greatest. No, you're just like 
Yay! <laughs> like it's that's that's the point. It's you know you can't. I literally watched Transformers yesterday while doing research. I I can't tell you barely a thing that happened in because the he doesn't movie. shoot his movie to to tell a story. He shoots his movie to show cool people doing cool shit, to show army guys being tough and government people being pieces of shit and hot teens being like uh and like like the guys that he likes looking cool and the guys he hates looking like assholes. Like it's he it's it's. I will shout out though, and I've t- said it before: Pain and Gain, legitimately a f- fantastic film. Right. Pain and Gain is a hilarious, great, funny movie, and that's actually how he ends up working with Michael, uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg, rather, and he ends up casting Mark Wahlberg in the lead role. Sheila Booth, after the third one, decides to step down from making Transformers movies. Megan Fox, obviously, out of the picture before that, even. Um, so he brings Mark Wahlberg in with a daughter, so that he can kind of have the teenagers in there, but still, but with like this father figure. Um, they, he wanted it to be a darker sequel to Dark of the Moon, and uh, Skrillex worked on the sound design for the film and said that he was creating, and I quote, the craziest Skrillex sounds I could ever make. Um, and then I just wrote down, oh shit, they got the Dinobots up in this one. I didn't actually see uh, Age of Extinction either. I don't really have any big anecdotes on it. No. I did watch The Last Night. Okay, you watched Last Night, directed by Michael Bay, the one that came after. Um, and Famously uh, tanked or tanked by domestic standards. It was a brutal summer last year where a lot of stuff got lost in the shuffle. Oh, yeah. Still did great domestically. Um, this one is just like, I almost had an aneurysm. <laughs> like, it's, there's this, like, they had Anthony Hopkins, like, cursing up a storm. They were, like, really about King Art. Like, if the last, like, if uh, Dark of the Moon was him wanting to do, um, him wanting to do uh, Black Hawk Down, then last night was him wanting to do like a cool historical uh, like 300 because it's all about like knights and King Arthur and like loyalty and swords. Uh, Optimus Prime is evil, then he's not. Uh, I've noticed in last night that every time Optimus shows up, there's at least one moment where he just repeats, I am Optimus Prime. <laughs> like just to just because like it's, it's like say the line. He's just doing Groot. He's he's kind of doing Groot. Um, <laughs> uh, they introduced this like the a female villain called Quintessa based on the Quintessons from the original animated series. Uh, but it's just one lady, and everyone's just like, "Do not trust the Deceiver." <laughs> um, and Cade Yeager is turns out to be the heir of King Arthur, and he wields Excalibur to 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 save the day. Um, spoiler alert! Fuck you. He's, he wields Excalibur, and unfortunately, at this point, uh, they now decide that using Star Wars and the Marvel Universe as an example uh, at Paramount. Uh, Akiva Goldsman is the head of Future Projects and worked with uh, Michael Bay and uh, Spielberg and producer Lorenzo D. Bonaventura to organize a writer's room that incubates ideas for potential Transformers sequels, uh, prequels, and spinoffs. So far, they've had um, the room has consisted of, among others, Gabriel Ferrari, who did Ant-Man, Robert Kirkman from The Walking Dead fame, the writer of that, Zach Penn, who uh, worked on, wrote on Avengers, and Jeff Pinker, who wrote on Amazing Spider-Man. 
Spider-Man 2 among a bunch of other people. Now they're trying to just churn him out. Uh, Bay said this is will have this is his last film, but he literally says that about every one of his movies. Um, and next up is the Bumblebee the movie, the mm-hmm. spin-off sequel starring John Cena and Haley Steinfeld from True Grit. Honestly, I love both of these actors. It's set to release December 21, 2018. It won't be a Bay movie. It's one of the people from the writer writing incubation that uh, they they have now created. So who knows? It might be kind of a turn into a good direction for them. Um, so I think that about covers it. I, I do just have, do you have the, to, let's do the post op. Let's please let's do the post. So, so I have a couple more Bay quotes I'd like to read. So uh, do a Bay quote. Uh, I don't change my style for anybody. Pussies do that. So we'd like to live in a world where we think that there's like a goodness to the heart of the human condition and that like progress and empathy are the way forward. And that, you know, I, we sit in our in our in our in our Internet forums and we like talk about the grand old days and like the the, the moral tales and like the, the, the power of heroism. And that is bullshit for idiots <laughs> that like for as much as we enjoy Captain America, as much as we enjoy Superman like just a cool guy with a gun with a hot chick on his arm is like really what resonates <laughs> and seeing the success of the transformers seeing like genuine like like that like all of the window dressing that that we kind of drape our wow my metaphors are confused it needs to involve food um <laughs> all the things we drape ourselves in mustard you can dribble yeah. on a hot dog all the things, all the things we kind of enrobe ourselves with as nerds, as like nostalgia uh, uh, junkies about like the innate dignity of Godzilla or like the 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 ethics of Superman. It's all just fucking nonsense. And like in the third world, in the second world, in across the globe, like people just want the hot chick, the cool car, the explosion, and, like, the idea that movies are a transcendent filmmaking thing or that pop culture can be elevated is a fucking lie, and Michael Bay proves it. The jocks always win. Surrender everything. Put Get your pants filled with toilet water because you're a mess of a human being. Bay says, it's a bitch working with robots. 10,000 moving parts, and you have to make them fucking emote. He also says, this is my last one, I'll leave it on this. The first thing I ever said to Steven Spielberg was, I really thought Raiders of the Ark was going to (laughs) suck. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, (laughs) this episode. Uh, If you'd like to check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, any little amount, that $5 a month. And uh, first of all, you get a bonus episode a week. We're about to record an episode about Avengers Infinity War. um, uh, And among other, we do interviews. We do monthly roundups about what we're just watching, listening, reading, all all sorts of great bonus content. If you want to check us out and pledge uh, um, even just five bucks a month. It goes such a long way for us to keeping this podcast going and keeping us um, fed and, you know, able to like, you know, pay taxes for a freelancer or a nightmare. And it's the worst. You can follow me twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Come join me. I'm playing video games all the time. Um, I am uh, 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 I'm a bit I'm a game man. I'm a game person. Uh, Jake. Uh, it's, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at best Jake young. Um, uh, 
in a 2001 write-up about Michael Bay in Esquire magazine, uh, it, the, one of the first things he does is park in a handicapped spot, his Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> Jake, did you just put eyeshadow on? I've... Are you becoming a goth person? Goodbye, horses. <laughs> All right, th- thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Or not, because we don't know who you are, probably. Have a good one. <laughs> Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.